We welcome all of our new online listeners. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, the hosting pastor of XL Church in IOM America. XL represents Exchange Life. Our church is an outreach of IOM America. Everything we do sits upon the pedestal of compassion. So let's get started. Enjoy the worship, illustrated videos, prayer, and weekly message. Psalm 22 verse 3 promises that God will be enthroned on the praises of His people. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Trust and obey, 
to trust and obey. Oh, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know the said the Lord Jesus Jesus how I trust him Eschatology, Unfolding the Power of Prophecy. This is our Revelation 2.20 series. We're on number 40 today. The title is Protecting the Bride and the Temple. In this teaching, we find John describing the second and last half of the Antichrist seven-year tribulation of ungodly rule. During this time, the non-Hebrews, that's Muslims and Gentiles, will make their last strong attempt to destroy God's chosen bride for his son, which somehow he believes is going to destroy the holy temple. The times of the Gentiles began with Judah's captivity under Nebuchadnezzar's oppressive rule. We're going to talk more about that. It pretty much stayed that way until May of 1948 when Israel became their own nation, which, by the way, symbolizes indwelt Christians becoming a nation by being grafted into the Jewish authentic body of Jesus Christ. 
Let's take a look at our passage today. It's out of Revelation chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations. And they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Protecting what is holy. Nothing is more important for Jesus than protecting his bride and the holy temple of the living God. The entire book of Revelation is filled with activities of our Lord accomplishing these two objectives. People tend to get lost in the gory details of the Antichrist while overlooking the significant details of the Lion of Judah protecting the bride by addressing Satan, his demons, and the lost souls who refute the doctrines of Jesus being God. Yes, much of the book of Revelation indeed is belabored with the war between Satan and Jesus, but know this, the love story hidden within the walls of this book is overwhelmingly sweet, tender, and filled with grace. Looking at the last half of the tribulation, in chapter 11 we find John describing the second and last half of the Antichrist seven-year rule during his tribulation. During this time, non-Hebrews will make their last strong attempt to destroy God's work, everything that he has accomplished in the past and everything that he is attempting to accomplish in the present. Israel has fought the Gentiles and the sons of Ishmael attempting to rule their land since the days of Nebuchadnezzar's oppressive rule. It pretty much stayed that way until May of 1948 when Israel actually became their own nation. It needs to be noted that the times of the Gentile is still in effect even though Israel is not under Gentile rule. Israel to this day needs to be protected from the Gentiles and the Muslims and their superpowers. Without this, the Muslim and the socialist or communist influencers will attempt to take Israel in the blink of an eye. Keep in mind that during the last three and a half years of the tribulation, there will only be three groups of power. Those from Isaac, the Hebrew and Jewish people, Ishmael, those who are Muslim, and of course the Gentiles. The great question has been through the ages is why is everyone so fascinated with conquering this small piece of dirt located in the Middle East called Israel? Where there's a good reason. This land is owned by God himself. All of the prophecies that have to do with the earth and those who have dwelt upon it from the beginning up to this hour have been working at attempting to destroy this land, minimally trying to take it over, because intuitively they know this is the land and mother country 
of God. The 42 months stated in our passage is the last three and a half years that I am referencing here. During this time, the nations, by way of the Antichrist, will have significant control over Israel, but not for long. Another significant note here is that the Lord is telling John that the altar and the inner courtyard is still in full control by God. Our text reveals that God gives the outer temple to the nations, and that would be the Gentiles and the Muslims. Here's a review of our passage. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and does not measure it. For it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Now a question has to be asked here is, what if I'm not Jewish? Well, if you're not Jewish, there's no problem. That is, if you have asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and the Holy Spirit truly indwells you, you are grafted into the Hebrew body of Jesus Christ himself, according to Romans chapter 11, verse 23, which, by the way, makes you a Hebrew citizen of heaven. This is what gives the saints the right to have the power to judge the world with Jesus during the thousand-year judgment period, which is one day to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6-2 it says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? So much is said today about not judging other people. That's a satanic plot to try to get indwell believers to disconnect with one of their ultimate responsibilities. The temple is a special place for God and Jews. The reason why God had allowed the temple to be destroyed after the ascension of Christ is for the transference factor. The temple had to go from a physical building to a human body. When Christ said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days, he spoke of his body, the bride of Christ. This is why protecting the holy temple is protecting the bride of Christ. We are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. He's also stated that once this transference factor took place, if anyone attempted to destroy or tamper with the Bride of Christ, his holy temple, he would destroy them. For this is the purpose of the end times. In 1 Corinthians 3.17 it says, If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. How much clearer can God make it? I think he pretty much covered the basis. Let's talk about after the rapture. Once the bride of Christ and the Holy Spirit is raptured and lodged in the safe 
place of the bosom of Christ, the earthly temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem by remaining Jews. It's the third temple. Even though the temple has been rebuilt multiple times, this will be the last and final time. And guess where they build it? It will be built right where the present-day Mosque of Omar now stands. Therefore, the Muslims hate the Jews, and this is also why that they are always battle-ready. Both groups are claiming this ground as their holy place of sacred worship. The War of All Wars, the Battle of Armageddon, is started over this piece of dirt. A war that will truly end all wars. The Jews think that they must rebuild a physical temple for the Messiah to come, not realizing, of course, that Jesus already fulfilled this promise. Worse yet, most Jewish people are clueless as to the authentic holy temple now residing in born-again Christians, a concept that would take a miracle of God for them to embrace. Jews tend to think in physical dwelling places for God. After all, he began revealing his presence in a tent. They expect him to return to a physical holy of holies, the innermost room of a physical temple. The holy temple transferring to a human body is beyond heresy to the Orthodox Jews. And this is most likely why the Jews themselves tend to disregard Christians. Before we move on into talking about the two witnesses, we need to talk about the glossary of terms. A glossary of terms is critical in gaining some type of understanding of the end times. It is in the terms of the end times that people tend to get lost, confused, and oftentimes tamper with heresy. Taking the word Armageddon, for example. Armageddon has so many views within the Christian world today, they've almost dissolved this battle into being some type of concept. I can assure you, according to pictorial Hebrew, modern Hebrew, Greek, and English, that this war is going to occur, and Christ does win it. It appears God uses symbolic terms in defining his objective. In reality, there is little symbolism in his vocabulary. His wording is literal in reality. To understand the literal, one needs to understand the context of the symbolic words of appearance. Our first one is the number 666. Certainly the number of the beast, recorded in Revelation chapter 13, verse 18. Neither Greek nor Hebrew had a written system of numbers. Instead, each letter of the alphabet indicated a different number, which is the case with the English as well. Many scholars have noted that in Hebrew, the number of emperor of Nero's name was 666. I have personally researched this, and according to the language used at that time, in A.D. 54 through 68, this is a true statement. He was the first emperor to persecute Christians. Perhaps the best approach to the number 
is to remember that six is a numeric character of incompleteness, falling short of God. The number 666, the mark of man, indicates absolute imperfection. One number short of seven. And of course, seven being the number of God. Next, we have the 144,000, a group of Jewish believers who endure the Great Tribulation, according to Revelation 7:14. Most scholars believe that the 144,000 are indeed Jews. 12,000 from each tribe who trust in Jesus Christ, according to Revelation chapter 7, verses 4 through 9. Assyrians conquered Israel in 722 BC. Ten tribes ceased to exist, which is a fallacy. Furthermore, in the New Testament, Israel and the twelve tribes frequently reference Christians being rebirthed through the twelve disciples. A little can be found about that in Romans chapter nine, verses six through eight. While this is true, Christians did not replace the tribes. We were grafted into the pure bloodline tribes, specifically the tribe Jesus descended. The tribe of Judah. Thus, why the Book of Revelation references him as the Lion of Judah. Next in line is the word Antichrist. In the Greek, it means in place of Christ. This can be anyone who denies the apostles' teachings about Jesus Christ, according to First John chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-two. Specifically, the Antichrist is a satanic counterfeit of Jesus Christ, described as lawless, which we find that in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses three through eight. Also, it states he is a beast in Revelation thirteen one through eighteen. The Antichrist most likely is a specific person who rises to power during the tribulation. This particular antichrist of the end times will rise and rule over most of the world as we know it today. The bloodline that he will be representing is much debated, but I am confident that he will be a descendant of Ishmael, at least the body that he possesses. The next one, apocalyptic literature. From the literature that uses extravagant symbolic and literal imagery to describe God's ultimate triumph over evil, apocalyptic passage appears in Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and many other passages within the Word of God. But most of the Book of Revelation is apocalyptic in nature, at least when it comes to its literature. Armageddon. Hebrew word is Har Megedon, or Mount Megiddo. The city of Megiddo was located between the plain of Jezreel and the western coast of Israel. Deborah, Gideon, Saul, Isaiah, and Josiah fought decisive battles near Megiddo. So Megiddo's valley became the symbol and literal location of the war to end all wars. 
Based on the reference of Armageddon in Revelation 16.16, some scholars believe that a literal battle will occur near Megiddo one more time. Since history loves repeating itself when it comes to the ways of God, these scholars are most likely right. As a side note, it is noted that the richest vein of oil sits under this valley. That alone will set off a global war. Church age, this is the period from the beginning of the New Testament church, 30 A.D., until Jesus Christ returns for his bride on the day of rapture. Keep in mind that the only ones who will be raptured, removed suddenly, are those who have received Christ into their mortal bodies through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The word eschatology, one of my favorite Greek words, eschatos, which means final. This word encompasses all studies of this earth's final and end times as we know it as humans. Final judgment, the unpleasant event that every demonic being and human will face, described in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. During this time, God judges all those who refute his son and delivers them to their eternal destination. And of course, that's hell. True indwelt Christians will not be condemned or judged. Authentic Christians are given rewards according to ministry conducted on earth. Looking at the first coming of Christ, that's a simple one for most of us. That's the birth of Jesus, the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ himself. The mark of the beast, the mark placed on the human bodies of all those who show allegiance to the Antichrist. Learn more about that in Revelation 13:16 and 17. The people of God receive a similar mark indicating their allegiance to Christ. That's found in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, chapter 9, verse 4, chapter 14, verse 1, and then again in 22, verse 4. Some premillennialists, like me, believe that the beast's mark will be an actual mark required by the Antichrist. Others support the ideation that the mark is simply symbolic of deeds that support the Antichrist. This, too, is a fallacy. Looking at the millennium, this is the Latin word milli, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Premillennialists believe that a millennium is a future event and that Christ will return before the first day of this millennium. A millennialist treat the millennium as a symbol of Christ's present reign of his people and that this is not a literal positional reign of Christ. Post-millennialists believe that Christ will return after, post, the millennium. We'll talk more about these three positions as we get deeper into the book of Revelation. Rapture. This too is a Latin word, 
which is raptus. The word means to carry away, or to put it more literal, from the Latin, raped from. The event described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, clearly showing us when Christ will return for his bride. Dispensational premillennialists, like myself, say the rapture and the second coming of Christ are two separate events. Many place the rapture and the second coming in the same event. This is not true. Christ first comes to remove his bride to save her from the destruction that he will initiate during the tribulation. Some theologians even place this difficult time in the second half of the tribulation, which is probably true. It will be more difficult in the second half. Many historic premillennialists say that the rapture and the second coming are one event, but please keep in mind they are two separate events. One event occurs, rapture, before the tribulation starts. The second event, second coming of Christ, occurs at the end of the second half of the seven-year reign of the Antichrist. More on this later. Second coming, the bodily return of Jesus Christ to earth to actually reign as king of kings. And then finally, tribulation, the time when severe calamities come upon the earth, and particularly for the 144,000 pure bloodline Jews, that maintained their faith to Christ during this persecution time. Found in Revelation 7, verse 14. A millennialist and many post-millennialists treat the tribulation as a symbol of the calamities and persecutions that have occurred throughout church history. Not true. Pre-millennialists like myself place the tribulation at the end of time. Some premillennialists believe that their tribulation will last exactly seven years. Other premillennialists view the seven years as symbolic of the completeness of God's dealings with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I believe it will be a literal seven years. Coming up next... Number 41, which is titled The Two Witnesses. This passage cannot be understood unless you have a vested interest in the Jewish people's customs and culture. Jewish law demands two witnesses to give competent evidence concerning matters of law, religion, or the dealings of men with one another. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, again in chapter 19, verse 15. Even this New Testament verse brings out this truth. It says, But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. That's right out of Jesus' mouth in Matthew 18, verse 16. 
Needless to say, things are getting heated up as we're getting deeper into the second half of the book of Revelation. Please feel free to contact me if you have any questions. I would be more than willing to dialogue with you. Again, thank you for joining us. We look forward to reconnecting with you in our next message. Until next time.